Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's going on, everybody? We are currently driving, which that seems to be what we do most of the time. (laughs) uh, We have been traveling a lot lately, too, and not just uh, together, but uh, in separate separate directions. And you just heard him laugh. Our co-host, Casey Smith, is hanging out with me. Dare I say it again, he's not driving. (laughs) How about that? How about that? (laughs) What's going on, dude? uh, I've been a little under the weather, man, and I'm still not 100%. Uh, I felt good most of the day today, but, you know, the last hour or so, I've kind of been dragging a little bit. I think the allergies I'm mixed in with the cold that I had or whatever is kind of getting to me. Throat's sore, and my voice is just a touch quiet, so yeah, it'll be all right, though. I'm doing fine. As opposed to your your usual, you know, status of Mike Peeker. Mike Peeker <laughs> is in temporary. He's on the uh, IR That's today. Right. That's right. Mike man. Peeker's on the We're IR. hoping to get him back into the lineup soon. <laughs> yeah. What is going on here? Work truck. <laughs> um, so we've we've got a few little stories to bring to you, but first I want to make sure you guys know that we've got a pretty awesome interview coming up, and I feel like we could have uh, we could have talked a lot longer. I had uh, kind of a limited time. Uh, slot that we could do this interview with Mr. P.J. Riley of Lancaster Archery, um, but man, like I'm, I'm just terrible when it comes to like knowing gear for one uh, and for another. You know, archery stuff especially. I just haven't really done a lot of modification. I don't have a lot of money, and there's a lot of money to be spent in archery, and so uh, you know, there's there's reasons uh, other than that as well. But uh, man, he's got me ready to spend about six, seven hundred bucks. <laughs> but yeah, this it's a really good interview that we did. And KC, like you said, was under the weather, so we had to do a three-way conversation on the phone. 
And so Casey's audio may sound a little rough, but, uh, man, it was a great interview. So uh, we'll get to that in a second. First of all, before you were under the weather, you were down south. Tell us about what happened. Uh, I went on my probably last bachelor party I'll ever go on, which is... Is that sad? No, not in the least little bit. It would have been around the first bachelor party, (laughs) but now that we've done nine of them, like, I'm about tired of them. We had a great time, don't get me wrong, but, like, I just, I'm not into the staying out late thing anymore, man. It's just not my gig. It's rough. Uh, I, I do my best to, like have a good attitude about it because i know that everybody kind of deserves their fun or whatever but and of course you know we had our much wilder days when we were younger now it's kind of more go out and eat and go to one joint and listen to a band play and throw some bean bags which is what we did pretty much you know <laughs> yeah. and uh, laugh at the other people who we may have used to been in our past lives if you know what i mean <laughs> but uh anyways uh <clears throat> this all took place down the guadalupe river which i haven't spent much time at uh, mostly because it's all private for the most part, and it kind of makes me mad. So I, I, <laughs> one time I went there with a college girlfriend, and we were, like, going to try to fish. We pull up to the bank and just start fishing, and some guy pulls up real grumpy, you can't fish her. You know, so ever <laughs> since then I've been kind of mad at it. But yeah. we had a, a, a private condo there on the on the water, so, you know, had river access, and you can walk up and down the river anywhere you want to, and it's not like there's, it's real deep, so you can go as far as you wanted to really – and I had a pretty stellar day Saturday afternoon. I caught a bunch of big rainbows and dude. a giant sucker. Like, I know it's a sucker, but I was I was pretty pumped, dude. Like, I mean, the thing was probably five pounds plus. <laughs> and he had a big old head on him. He fought hard. You know, that's what I was looking for, right? Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. But uh, we had fun, man. Dude, those were some big rainbows. Yeah. They were, they were solid. They were solid fish. And they fought hard, too, which was cool. Yeah. Uh, they jump like rainbows. You know, rainbows will jump five or six feet out of the water. <coughs> and uh, they, uh, they were eating like they're supposed to. Unlike like you are throwing eggs and corn and crap to them. You know, right. we were throwing, I was throwing uh, a uh, size 14 pheasant tail underneath the uh, indicator and just drifting it through the, the slow runs and ripping them out man that's cool did you see any of them before i saw a few rises yeah. I, I did and i saw a dead one in the water which i don't know if it's because temperatures or somebody caught him or what but i saw that there was a rainbow in the water so i knew there'd be some and i mean the, the river's known for being texas's only holdover rainbow population mm-hmm. you know so i knew that there was a chance of them being around but i really didn't go down there with the intention of catching rainbows i thought i'd catch smallies and and long ear sunfish which i caught both of those too but mm-hmm. uh the rainbows were definitely the highlight of the trip. Yeah, and, and the reason I saw them was he posted posted those on the Instagram story. So yeah, if you're uh, if you're not on Instagram following us, then you're probably gonna miss out on some of what we talk about because we post a lot of stuff on our story. Yeah. Uh, so make sure and do that. Yeah. It's where but, a lot of our day to day stuff is. is yeah. On Instagram. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's kind of like almost like a blog of our yeah, life. You can see where how much Mexican food we really do eat. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, about a constant flow between the two of us. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, that was I was very surprised. There were some really nice rainbows that you were catching. It's fun. I'm ready to go back. And I, I didn't think I would say that before. You yeah. know, like I wasn't really looking forward to being on the quad. Just because it gets that reputation for tubers and drunk people and stuff, in which there yeah. was that around. But everybody's all friendly, and they all ask, you know, what'd you catch? And that kind of thing. Yeah. So, and there's more fishermen around, too. So, yeah. it was cool. You told them a sucker told him a sucker <laughs> yeah uh, 
but the uh, I, you said you were on River Road, right? Mm-hmm. I've been there several times. Yeah, yeah. playing. What's that? Playing. Playing. Yeah, and uh, we floated a couple times. Yeah. Um, you went by the Ice House there. Uh huh. River yep. Road Ice House. Yeah. Yep. Played there several times. That was almost like our home away from home. It's a pretty big venue. Uh, I guess. I mean, I remember hearing that on the radio a lot when I was in college. Oh yeah, there's uh, some good bands that come through there yeah. for sure. It's a cool little place down there. Um, so I guess uh, I don't have a whole lot of news from this weekend. I I tried to relax. I don't relax very well. Um, <laughs> but I mainly, instead of relaxing, went out and did some fishing, talked and uh, shot some stills of some whitetails and stuff like that. And um, sorry, that cop threw me off. <laughs> uh, but today. We did basically our first, what I would consider preseason whitetail. Oh, we're so much dummies. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm definitely dumb. <laughs> I know that. Oh no, it was a good, good day in the woods. It's yeah. just, it's, it's really, really, really early. But you have a little reasoning for why we'd want to put a trail camera out, right? So, right. my thoughts are this: if you've listened to this podcast and you know my story a little bit, you probably know that I've kind of semi chased a buck named teenager for the last several years so we both kind of had a rain day today which uh because of the early morning rain it was raging humid oh my gosh today i'm talking hadn't sweat this much outside of a football practice i don't know ever probably so anyway teenager um i told kc today i was like man i don't want to make this deer an obsession but I, we do know he lives in a pretty small block, but we need to, we need to figure out where, you know, cause he's all over this block and the block's big enough. I mean, it's several hundred acres that we, you know, we need to figure out how we can get him patterned and killed. And I don't know if we're going to or not, but felt good about that last trail camera we hung. Yeah. Yeah. I so like that spot. My thought though was that. Um, teenager has he's the only really like decent buck on this property that we've seen in the last couple of years um, that we would consider like a shooter mm-hmm. and so that's there's there's one point there to be made he also has um, some coloration features that uh, I have found to be uh, help me identify him and so I think that even though they don't have their horns right now, that he's got some probably solid bases that are starting to come out right mm-hmm. now. Uh, because I know most, pretty much all the bucks around here have got a couple inches popping out. And if I think if we find if we get pictures of a deer, you know, that's got good bases, and by the time we pick this camera up, he'll have grown some horn. Um, it has the certain coloration and the body. And and yeah, just just oh, a big a mature buck, big big bodied buck, and yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I think that what my my plan is if I can find him, because until the rut, I don't feel like he's going to move a ton. Mm-hmm. Because last year during the summer, we didn't pick him up in the same spot we picked him up in the postseason several times. We picked and, him up there this year in the rut too. Yeah, in that spot that we didn't get him preseason. Right, and I think that from uh, other preseason trail camera hangs from last year, we learned that. 
uh, those deer are pretty much going to stick. Like if you find them preseason when they're out there munching on forbs and doing the summertime thing, like they're going to be there until the weather changes. Yeah. You know, and that's usually mid to late October for us here. Mm-hmm. So you have a really good chance. Like I, we have a lot of hunting to do this next season, and and we would really like to be able to pattern a deer and get a a, a buck killed in October. Yes. You know, and that would be a great deer to do it on because he has, you know, a relatively small home range. Mm-hmm. And just because we didn't find him in the summertime last year, it makes me, like you said, they're going to be in that area during the summer if you could find them wherever that is, munching on Forbes and stuff. Well, they they also don't, because of that, you know, or I guess to go along with that, they don't. Um, seem to move much at all mm-hmm. because it is blazing hot and you know even even though we're not super close to the gulf we get gulf humidity mm-hmm. you know quite a bit here and it's just like it's not fun to go outside in june july august around here you know so uh <laughs> you can only imagine what a deer with a big <laughs> bunch of fur on him you know mm-hmm. it's heavyweight buck is going to be probably not moving much especially during the daytime so what we're trying to do is get into his bedroom pretty much and find him and so i think what i'm thinking is if i start in may then maybe that'll give me enough time to um whenever we go back out to set some more trail cameras for our other spots uh check it and be able to observe the data and either move the the camera one more or two more times to try to find him or you know know that he's there or whatever Mm -hmm. and so I figured if we started now, I would have the time. I'd be able to to recognize him, and I would be having. I would have the time this summer to to uh, move it a couple times if I needed that, which yeah. I didn't have last year. That and we got to do some tree scouting. Yes. while we were out, which, which is the second we, camera we hung. Yeah, that was a big part of why we hung it there. Yeah, know? exactly. We found a, a large stand of shumards amongst a bunch of. Uh, um, post oaks which we kind of knew they were there because of previous tree scouting expeditions but like went back confirmed it and hung that camera there in hopes that you know by last year the first shoemart i saw hit the ground was in september it was like late late september Mm -hmm. so it's it's like that's the the october tree for sure those post oaks don't start falling until like early november it seems like yeah so i remember we were talking and we thought the first two weeks of October, if we weren't hunting shoemards, shoemards, then we were idiots. You yeah, know? when we weren't hunting shoemards, we so. weren't last year. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we we figured this out in mid October. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that I knew there was a shoemard in there from when I was in there in March looking for his sheds, uh, but I didn't know how many there were, and mm-hmm. there was a lot, and that gives me a lot of hope that in October that'd be a great place to to kill teenager. Not to mention, we saw. His track, we did see his track. I'm talking. It's what a we think giant is his track. track. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's we we saw what we thought was his track during postseason, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and that uh, was, and we <laughs> thought that because we had trail camera pictures of him like during that time period. Yeah, yeah. And he's the only buck in the area that's that big, so mm-hmm. it's just mo- more than likely it's him. Yeah. And that's pretty cool because we set up a camera on the trail where his track was so Mm -hmm. feeling pretty good about that man for sure yeah Yeah. we got we we i don't know i feel a lot pretty good about our camera hangs today overall i think that we're getting a lot better and better just every time we hang one at just our system is is a lot more in place we know what it's going to take we know 
by using junky cameras like what we're going to have to you know cheap cameras we're going to we're going to have to do this to make sure that this doesn't set it off and you know yeah and i mean to be honest as of right now bang for your buck those stealth cam p12s or p14s that we're using are pretty dang good i mean you know we got them on a deal too yeah we don't have any connection with stealth camera or anything but those cameras are working pretty good for us you know as far as like that cheaper camera level like trigger speed's good pictures are pretty clear like they're they are pretty good for public land hunting yeah they have been they've been great man and and you got uh the majority of them you got on a discount right like they were running a special or whatever yeah so that's yeah it's like 35 bucks a camera or yeah. something i, I mean, think academy might even have them on sale right now i'm not sure but yeah I mean, might be something to check out go get you one if you're interested in some cheap, <laughs> cheap cameras that work pretty decent yeah um don't get the ones around us though because we might be getting them <laughs> um so uh there was one more spot we went and visited uh it's a spot that we are calling the pulpit and it had a lot of buck movement from like late november on which yeah. is kind of when our rut. rut yeah really seems to be the heaviest i mean there's definitely movement all november mm-hmm. the rut movement but um anyway we went back in there and dude there was for this time of year there's a lot of traffic in there yeah like i don't feel like it's just a rut spot you i don't know? know what they're doing but there was you know a decent amount of tracks in there yep. and uh a decent amount of looks like buck tracks i would think you know mm-hmm. bigger tracks and stuff i don't know but uh, i'm excited about that place man i feel like it's a sensitive spot you know yeah. if there's it's you know it's a public spot if there's anybody else that moves in in the area it's going to kind of mess it up just because it's it's a sensitive but yeah. it's going to be pretty cool if we hunt it right right you know and, and do it right on the wind and uh yeah we saw some large deer moving to that area yeah. like you said and uh pretty cool you show me a spot that you were really excited about hanging in a cedar tree yeah which i've I'm never not done excited about it after we looked at it today because <laughs> it's thicker or what yeah i, I mean there's a definitely a, i don't know it's just going to take a lot of work to get a stand in there right and and uh make it fit and everything i think we're where we originally hung the camera might be our yeah. best bet just as far as getting shots in both directions you know mm-hmm. So, but it's a, I mean, I think that spot is, it's a killer spot. I mean, it's, it's like heavy pressured area, but it's on the fringe of like where most of your hunters are hunting, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's, uh, it's like this little, uh, fringe spot where the deer have found, you know, there's a lack of human pressure and they move through there apparently. So, or they did all in the last year so yeah i think you're onto something too with uh, how we're getting our system down on trail cameras and stuff we're hanging them all similar you know we mm. we we're learning these things about like the grass and shadows and where you can and can't hang one and, and get a hundred thousand daytime pictures of nothing you know and yeah. uh like kind of the bang for your buck hangs too i know last year we we hung some cameras where we uh only got like four or five deer pictures on them you know Mm -hmm. because it's like well let's see what's moving through here well if there's not a lot of sign of something moving through probably not a lot moving through you know and and when you start hanging on those places and orienting your hangs to where you know or believe there to be buck bedding or a food source or something like that then you can really start actually getting value out of those camera hangs and Mm -hmm. not sweating your patootie off to go in there and pull a car that has six pictures on it that's right man that's what we did over there with teenager last year in the summertime yeah so mosquito city oh it's terrible terrible so um i guess 
After that, we went uh, and picked some blackberries uh, or dewberries. Not not sure. We'll have to we'll have to probably uh, brush up on what uh, the difference is there. But uh, we just call them blackberries, and they are looking good. I'm looking at a whole cup of them right here, Ooh. and uh, I'm gonna make a deer backstrap um, steak tonight with uh, blackberry glaze on it, like Sous-vide. we did. <laughs> no. No, it's not sous vide. That's all the rage right now, man. I know. Not, I know. What are you doing? I know. I'm going to do a good old, put a whole, I'm going to sear it real good on the outside with a real hot grill or skillet, and we're going to we're gonna glaze it up, man. Mm. So I'm excited about it. It's the, it's the same recipe that KC did with the elk uh, steak last year, and it is very good. And we actually have a video online that you can go watch that lays the whole recipe out and shows you how to do it and it is i mean it's money so make sure and get out and uh get you some blackberries uh you know ditches are public right away you know so you get out there in the ditch and find you some blackberries and and uh you're you're doing nothing illegal to be picking them so get out there and uh and do it man and uh i guess it's a good time to go to the interview with pj riley what do you think anything else sounds good to me all right let's get with him all right, so on the phone we have PJ Riley. He's a freelance writer, and he also works with Lancaster Archery. What's happening, PJ? How you guys doing today? Doing great. Awesome. <laughs> so what's been happening uh, in your neck of the woods? I hear it's uh, it's been raining a lot. Raining a lot. Uh, just it seems to come every weekend when we're trying to shoot 3Ds or shoot field archery. Uh, the turkey hunting, I have not been out, but. Turkey hunting seems to be really good this year. Everybody's killing turkeys. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. I unfortunately have not got. Yeah, I unfortunately have not gotten out, but other people are. <laughs> yeah. Well, we feel you. We actually live in a part of the U.S. where turkeys don't really exist. <laughs> as oh, is that right? As crazy as it sounds, uh, we are in a part of Texas that does not have really any birds at all. So. Well, uh, I feel your pain because that's where I am in Pennsylvania. There's like. <laughs> A couple here or there, but I, I can't hunt right around home. I'd have to go a couple hours away. Yeah, yeah. So do you do any fishing? I would assume uh, you deal with some bow fishermen. Yep, yep. yep. Uh, regular fishing, bow fishing, uh, yeah, we do a lot of that. Trout, cool. bass, or bass fishing's just getting good. Trout mm. season's been in for about a month. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've been, been picking that up when I can. Of course, the streams have all been getting blown out by these, like, uh, real gully washer rain students. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I understand. Yeah, we've, yeah. we've got uh, guys down here in Texas that they like to combine their bass fishing and their bow fishing. So it's, oh, a, nice. it's, you know, it's one of those things where uh, they thought it was a carp. But it wasn't. It was a large mouth. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that happened there. Oh. Our <laughs> bow fishing won't, won't get good for about another, uh, about a month to two months. Uh-huh. Uh, it'll start getting good. The carp start coming into the shallower water. And, of course, the water drops. The levels are better. So Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. So, you know, the the, yeah. the whole reason we really wanted to do this podcast is um, we always look for a different angle than what's kind of out there and kind of hot in the media right now. And so one thing that sure. we are very much interested is all the little things that have to do with archery or bow hunting. And 
And what I mean by that is a lot of guys are infatuated with the newest bow that's coming out from Matthews or Hoyt or whoever. But, um, you know, we want to know about the little things that go on those bows that may affect certain parts uh, or certain aspects of accuracy or effectiveness or, uh, you know, different velocities and all these different things. So we figured you'd be the guy to talk to. And, you know, personally right now, uh, is a time where I traditionally would start shooting in preparation for next hunting season. And slowly, right. slowly I would start to dial things in. In the last you know, decade or more, I, I typically kind of relied on uh, just my early shooting years, you know, and almost in the same fashion as like, um, you know, once you learn to ride a bike, it's just like riding a bike. You always yep. get back on it, you know. So, <laughs> And I, don't, I know that's not probably the best way to do it, but being busy, you know, most of us don't have a ton of time or even a great space to kind of yeah. stay consistent with it. And, uh, you know, right. I finally have a good spot at, at, a, at my home that I've just moved to, uh, to shoot in the evenings. Nice. And so I think I'm going to dive into a new rest this year for my, for my nice. bow. Um, you know, mm-hmm. how, how important is a rest in the spectrum of bow accessories and, and what should we look for or what should I look for when I'm looking to purchase one? Sure. Um, I, the drop aways are the, are the way to go these days. That's what's most popular. And, uh, um, you know, just it's pretty much all of them are full containment. That's, you know, something the bow hunters in particular look for. So, you know, you can lean left, right. You're going through brush. You don't have to worry about your arrow popping out. Uh, and just for consistency, they just, uh, you know, the rest gets out of the way. So it's not, um, causing any adverse action. Um, a, a popular one. And there's certainly nothing wrong with it, of course, is a whisker biscuit. It's simple. It's foolproof. Um, you put it on there. You don't have to worry. Um, but if you're looking for a little higher level of accuracy, um, they always say, if you look at the pros, they can shoot whatever they want. There's not a pro out there that's shooting a whisker biscuit. Right. Obviously, there's a reason for that. Um, now, you know, for the bow hunter who wants to kill a deer 20 yards, this could, this gets perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you want to take your game a little bit higher, a little more precision, maybe extend your distance, um, probably going to want to go with a drop away. That just seems to be, uh, what's hot right now. Yeah. Casey, what are you thinking, man? Well, I like a lot of people, um, and kind of like you, Tyler, where I'm shooting a rest that I've had for quite a while, and I, I don't know if I'm really ready to move to something different, but I'm shooting uh, something that uh, isn't or is a drop away, but it's not a full containment. You know, so is oh, there okay. any any world or any realm where someone wouldn't want a full containment rest? You know, like to say somebody has a rest that's six or seven years old. Is there any reason for them not to go to one of those full containment rests? No, um, it's, you know, it's just simpler. Um, the, when I started hunting, the popular one was a rest called the TM Hunter. It was two prongs that were fixed. Uh, and I mean, for shooting accurately, it was great. Your arrows mm-hmm. tended to fall off. I mean, that was just <laughs> something you dealt with. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, you are moving around in the tree stand, you hit something, boom, that arrow would fall off, you know, didn't take much. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, full containment, that just simplifies everything. And 
And, you know, where I had to have make sure my arrow was positioned correctly um, on the rest, with these full containment, you don't do anything. It, it, you know, gravity takes it to where it's supposed to go every time when you go to shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I can definitely see the benefit of that because there's been multiple occasions, I probably won't say how many times, but where I'll, I've drawn my bow and you see your arrow lying down on the riser and it's not a good deal at all. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a bad situation to be in whenever you have an animal at the other end of that. So uh, sure. I, I'm with you there. I think that, you know, moving to that full containment rest is going to be a good thing for me in the future. Uh, and then I, I like you have shot those two pronged, you know, uh, rests in the past where you had to kind of tune your fleshings to go through the prongs and, mm-hmm. and all that. And uh, I know that, there's a lot of guys who are still shooting, you know, uh, that kind of traditional kind of equipment, not, not really traditional sure. in the sense of a trad bow, but you know, some no, of the no. older stuff. And like, yeah. I have a trophy taker rest. It's a fall away wet rest. And it's kind of common practice to put like moleskin or some sort of, uh, soft material on that rest to, um, decrease the sound of the air being drawn and, yeah. you know, cut, cut out on some of the clanking or whatever. If the air falls off, like it ends there, you know, <laughs> sure. but, uh, uh, is there any, any way, or can you see that that kind of can affect accuracy with just some, uh, I guess what's the right word. There's some deviation there to where like, if it's wet or over time it starts to wear and it gets softer, or if it gets dirtier, or it gets some stuff in the way. Would you shy away from, putting something like that on your wrist no because if you tune it if you tune set up tune your bow shoot it through paper you're gonna have to figure out you know level knock travel level knock travel whatever Mm -hmm. wherever you have to move the rest or move your knocking point in order to you know shoot through paper and get a bullet hole that's that's what you'll do and so with a drop away rest you know whether you got mulched in there or not you'll you'll have to figure that out to tune it and then once you do it you're good i mean it's you're good to go cool so being that guy that i spoke about earlier that doesn't have a whole lot of time sometimes to change things up i mean you know guys like you that get to work in the field of archery sometimes and, and this may or may not be you, but I'm saying that guys in, in your field sometimes can really get detailed with stuff. And, and it's hard for, I guess, the blue collar or common man to really relate, you know. So, yeah, for, for me, um, and then talk about a controversial, controversial subject, um, broadheads. I, uh-huh. you know, I shoot a um, mechanical NAP 100 grain and it's got like the cut on contact kind of rage looking head. Um, you know, and, and I've, uh, before that it was just the regular spitfire. These are called spitfire max, I believe. And, um, you know, they've been around forever. I've killed tons of deer with them, never had any issues on some pretty big deer. Um, and I would like to shoot fixed blade, but I don't feel like I really have the time to fine tune them and shoot them accurately, accurately. Plus, um, you know, um, if your broadheads shoot differently than your field tips, then you want to be throughout the year, throughout the season, kind of testing those broadheads into a target to make sure you're still where you thought you were last time you, before you moved your bow around and took it, 
you know, several hours away to hunt and, and then you got to sharpen those wow. broadheads and all this and that. So, I mean, is there, is my theory well, okay or is there a better theory well, out there? Well, here's the thing. As long as your heads are the same weight, like you're shooting a hundred grade field point, hundred grain broadhead, technically your broadhead should always fly like your field point. Okay. If it's not, that's a tuning issue. Mm-hmm. That's not a broadhead issue. Very seldom, the only way it would be the broadhead is if your arrow isn't cut straight and so the broadhead's not sitting flush or in the rare instance that the uh, um, threading the ferrule on the broadhead is bent. You know, sometimes that happens. But wow. for the most part, if you tune your bow properly, you should be able to shoot any broadhead you want. And one of the things that we see is people, a lot of people, a lot of times go to mechanicals. Hey, mechanicals are awesome. I mean, I've shot lots of things with them. You know, they kill just as good. You know, some of your bigger game, you may run into issues if you hit bone. Mm -hmm. If you hit the right spot with a rage or whatever, man, you got a heck of a hole. Right. But a lot of times people go for the expandables because they shoot the fixed blades and it's a typical thing is it hits low right. Um, and they're like, oh, well, I don't want to recite in. I'll shoot mechanicals. Oh, they hit right with my field point. Well, actually, there's a tuning problem there that's being hidden in some fashion. And it is tedious, but one of the things that if I could recommend anybody do if they have the time is to bear shaft tune. If you can get a bear shaft to hit exactly with your field points or with your fletched arrows, your bow is tuned to perfection and you can shoot anything you want. Um, it's just amazing how your accuracy goes through the roof when you take the time to bear shaft tune, but it is tedious. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah when you say bear shaft are you talking about no fletchings or no oh, broadhead yeah. or yeah no fletching okay you'd shoot it with a field point you know just the same as your fletched arrow but uh you take the fletchings off and technically you should be if you have the proper arrow for your bow a lot of time it has to do with arrow length of course arrow spine is critical um uh, a lot of times what people do is they're usually under spine. They're right, you know, you're sh- shooting a 29-inch arrow, 70 pounds. Yeah, can you do, should you be shooting 400 or should you be going 350 um, for the spine? And so, you know, maybe they're shooting 400s. They don't want to switch, but they really should be shooting a stiffer arrow. Um so if you can, but if you can take the time to bear shaft and get that bear shaft to fly just like your fletched arrows, man, you can shoot anything you want. I'll sh- I shoot a uh, Magnus Buzzcut Stinger. That's probably one of the least aerodynamic broadheads out there. <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll shoot that thing 80 yards. It'll hit right with my field point. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, it's, but... What I, some things that I had to do that, you know, are maybe everybody can't, I shoot a Matthews, uh, Halon 32. And so they have, so what happened was, is I went to bear shaft or actually I shot my broadhead 
uh, for the first time when I got the Halon 32. Shot my field point. Now, I shot a field point fletched arrow through paper and got a perfect bullet hole. Perfect. I'm good to go. I shot a bear shaft, and it showed it was way to the right. It was really ugly. <laughs> so I thought, hmm, well, that's not good. And so what I discovered, what it was showing was it was showing a weak spine, but I knew it wasn't the spine because I was shooting 300 arrows. It can't go any stiffer. Um, so with the Matthews bow, they have what they call a top hat system. It's these little tan spacers uh, in the axles, and they have three sets of them. So you can move that cam around. And what I had to do was move my cam to the left. Once I did that, changed the spacers in there. Perfect bear shaft tune, flew perfect. And then, you know, and then that was the only thing I did. Put the broadhead back on, hit right with my field point. Wow. Um, but, you know, there's other, you have like a Hoyt with the yoke system. So you have to play with the yokes to kind of tilt the can one way or the other. Uh, primes have a roller guard you change the angle of the roller guard to influence the cam. Um, so it's a lot of that stuff where, like you said, not everybody has the time to do it or, you know, really knows what they're doing there with the bow. So, um, but back to the original point. Yeah. The, the expandables, <laughs> a lot of people go to that just because they, their bow is out of tune and they don't, they, don't know what to do about it right yeah that's probably me (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's a lot of people um and you know your your fletched arrows will fly perfectly but if you can imagine that if you the less you ask your fletchings to do the way more forgiving they are right starting Um, with the fundamentals oh yeah if they don't have to steer much you can make little mistakes and then they'll hide it. <laughs> right, right. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Yeah, so um you know, kind of moving on here, um we had Chris B on the podcast recently and Oh yeah. Yeah, so no, he's he's a, you know, competition guy, but he also hunts and stuff. Yeah. Um and yep. so being a competition guy, he obviously shoots a long stabilizer. Uh, but yep. that carries over into his hunting setup too. I've noticed, and yep. you know, I've heard most guys can't shoot the difference uh, in you know, say like a what six inch or so, and then something that's really long. Um, but I like things. I like small wins because I feel like they end up in big victories, and so I like things that may just barely give me an edge. You know, so uh, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about stabilizers for hunting setups? I, I think the stabilizer for bow hunter is probably the least utilized and least understood implement that people put on their boat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and the, the perfect example was I had a customer come in. He had just bought, uh, this was back when uh, Hoyt had the carbon element. He had just bought a Hoyt carbon element, super light bow, because he wanted to go out and, you know, he, wanted, he was going to do all kinds of hiking. He wanted a light setup. So he comes into the shop and he's shooting and he calls me over. He's like, PJ, I just can't get a tight group. And I'm watching him shoot. He has no stabilizer on. And I said, put a stabilizer on it. No, 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 I don't want to do that. That's, you know, that's going to add weight. That's terrible. I don't want to do that. 
And so he kept shooting and, you know, we're playing with his form and his form was good and everything. And his name's Jacques. And I said, Jacques, I'm telling you, we're in here in the shop. It's not going to hurt anything. Put a stabilizer on there. All right. So I put his 12-inch stabilizer in there. And his next three shots were all touching. <laughs> he turned to me and he said, I'll never forget. He turned to me and he said, well, that doesn't mean you're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's, so it's what what happens is first off you have your uh you have the riser and the limb pocket if you're stabilized what i mean what we want people to do is understand what they're getting and what they're not getting if your stabilizer doesn't reach past the limb pocket it's not doing any stabilization so basically the little s coil dampeners all they're doing is killing vibration Mm-hmm. Not stabilizing the bow at all, which means torque is a very real issue for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I shoot, I hunt with a 15-inch front bar and a 10-inch side rod. Um, and I have uh, four, uh, six ounces on the side rod and three ounces out front. I'll take that in the tree stem. I mean, my arrow is still longer than the stabilizer, so at some point my arrow would hit something before my stabilizer would. Um, but just for that, you know, if, if you're the typical, the, what they say, the typical whitetail shot is 20 yards and under. Do you need that for that? Not necessarily. But what if you want to shoot 30, 40, 50 yards with confidence? Like not just, oh, man, I sure hope this goes in. <laughs> yeah. You're taking the shot and you're saying, I know this is going to hit that thing right in the heart. Mm-hmm. You probably want to play with a stabilizer setup um, just because you, you know, if you, were to sh- if you were to have two people to shoot that side by side 50 yards with a stabilizer setup like that versus without, I guarantee you the stabilizer's group is going to be tighter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we I, see I, we we see the resistance all the time to the long bars. I don't want that. That's too much. It's going to get in the way. It's too heavy. <laughs> you know, I I get it, understand it, and and you know, I'm not saying everybody has to shoot 15 inches. That can certainly be overkill. But it's understanding what you're getting and what you're not getting. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm uh, probably. Uh, traditionalist when it comes to archery equipment i'm kind of slow to change um and of course i've got a, a front stabilizer i feel like that's kind of since the the probably 80s or 90s has been kind of the way people do things but mm-hmm. the back bar side rod whatever you want to call it the the other stabilizer that comes out the back down to your left side if you're a right-handed shooter is right. uh, is kind of new for me and I don't quite understand what the purpose of it is or, and what it can do for you as a shooter. So can you kind of explain what that is? Sure. So um, one of the most common things it does is it offsets anything on the other side of the bow. I don't shoot with a quiver on, so that's meaningless to me. Basically, the only thing I have on the other side of my bow is my sight. Um, but... If you put a side rod on, okay, or if you have the front bar on, what you want is to have all your weight out at the very end. Well, that's going to cause if, you know, if you have a decent amount of weight, then your bow is going to want to fall forward constantly. 
Mm-hmm. With a side rod, you counter that and kind of bring that bow up a little bit. The end result is when you are holding on target, your pin is just a lot quieter and steadier. You put it where you want it. Everybody's pin floats a little bit. question is, does it float a lot? Does it float fast? Is it slow? You know, what you want is little movement and slow. That's, you know, that's just keys to accuracy, keeping that pin longer where you want it. Mm-hmm. So a side rod helps balance your bow, and it's, you know, it's different for everybody's hand, um, what feels right, uh, but that's what it's doing. It's just balancing that bow when you're at full draw. Mm-hmm. I got you. So it's, it's uh, I guess you can compare it to, like, when we're filming hunts sometimes, when we're filming B-roll or whatever, we're using that thing called a gimbal. It's pretty much doing the same yeah. thing, right? You're putting weight down exactly. at the bottom so that the thing at the top yep. is steadier. Huh. That yeah. makes good sense. So, so how do how do you determine if as a hunter that you need one or would you say that everyone should kind of start moving that direction? Well, well, here again, there are, there are the pro archers. I mean, these, if anybody could shoot a bare bow accurately, it's going to be Levi Morgan. I mean, he's one of the (laughs) best archers on the planet. Levi Morgan hunts with a 15 inch front bow and a 10 inch side rifle. Why does he do that? Mm-hmm. I mean, of all people who wouldn't need it, it would be him. But he does it because he knows that that's just what, I mean, when he comes up and he puts his pin on it, man, whatever he's aiming at's in big trouble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I would say everyone probably could benefit from it. Now, that's that's purely from an archery accuracy standpoint. Mm-hmm. That's not mm-hmm. factoring in if you have to go hiking all over the place. John Dudley is a perfect example. He also is a very accomplished archer. He doesn't always shoot a long stabilizer. When he's doing a lot of hiking, he, he keeps his bow more lightweight and compact. Um, that's, that's his choice. Um, and he certainly has the skill to do that. Um, but I would, I would say more people would benefit from a good stabilizer setup than not. Um, just if for nothing else for torque. Um, the, the most common problem that we see, uh, particularly with bow hunters is guys who grab, who grip that bow grip. You know, they grab it like a pistol. Looks like a pistol grip. They grab it like a pistol grip. <laughs> well, the main thing that causes is problems with torque. Um, so they're going to be twisting that riser. It doesn't even take much, just a little twitch. And, you know, especially at 40, 50 yards, your rider can miss by three feet. Um, so a stabilizer, especially, you know, a longer front rod, resists that torque. It, it fights it. So um, that that would be my thought on stabilizer setup. I think everybody could benefit from one. So, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like I said, there's other things that they're considering as well. Yeah, sure. And I guess that you, you're kind of saying that we almost need to look at stabilizers as a system, as more than you know. Here's a front one and here's a back one, right? Like it's it's how it all plays together right. with your bow setup. Yeah, you could. It's it's possible that you could 
uh, have just a front bar and be fine with that. Um, the reason I, I hunted with a 12 inch rod front rod for years, actually the reason I went to 15 is so I could cut down my weight. I don't, you don't need as much mm. weight out on the end the farther you get away. Um, yeah. and I had something like, I don't remember, like 10 ounces out front, which then I have to counter that on the back. So I had even more on the back. Usually I, I have a uh, three to one ratio, three on the back to one out front. And, uh, so I went to a longer one so I could cut down on my weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so, so speaking of that, um, how do you feel about those, uh, what do they call them? Quiverizers or something like that? I swear they take the, the quiver and it's mounted yeah. to the stabilizer horizontal to the ground. Have you ever used one of those? Is it, uh, I like, I kind of can applaud the ingenuity, but I don't know if it's functional. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I have not, I have not used one. I, I'm, and I can't remember, I can't remember if I've seen one up close, but I would wonder, my, and my arrows are 29 inches. When I, now that is, I mean, my target stabilizer is 30 inches. <laughs> I know I don't <laughs> want to carry that in the woods. Um, so I'd be curious to see how, like, where is the weight in that and, and how many arrows are you carrying? I mean, mm-hmm. I think I have five in my quiver. I, I, I take, I have a removable quiver. I, I never shoot with it on. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I, you know. <laughs> it kind of seems to be a, a Western kind of thing. Like a lot of the guys out there are using it more, you know, some of that, that open country stuff where it's more spot and stalk. But I can just see where, um, yeah. you, you know, you go through the season, you shot a couple deer, and, you know, your, your quiver's down to three arrows as to where it was five. <laughs> you know, you, you're shooting a different system at that point in time. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you're shooting and missing by your fifth shot, your weight ratio may be completely different. <laughs> it just gets worse every shot, right? <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I, that's, I, I, we don't, I know we don't sell many of those if we even carried. I can't, I don't know if I've even seen it in our shop. Um, but, um, yeah, there's lots of gadgets out there. <laughs> it would put your arrows in a handy place, no doubt about that. You know, mm-hmm. right there in front of you. So, not for me though. Speaking of the <laughs> gadgets, are there any other accessories that are that are maybe not? Uh, maybe you wouldn't reference them as gadgets as much as them being a very important but overlooked piece of, um, you know, your bow that relate to accurate shooting. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know that uh, people put necessarily as much thought into their sights as they probably should. Um, I, what I see is a lot of people don't even know that there are different size pins, that the fibers are different sizes. Um, you know, going down as small as a ten. The typical uh, hunting sizes are ten thousand, nineteen thousand, twenty-nine thousand, um, and with the ten thousand being the smallest. And just the you know the smaller that your pin is, the more precise you can be with it. 
However, the less light it's going to transmit. Mm-hmm. Um, so being hunters where we're in low light situations a lot, the, the um, ultimate goal seems to be to fine tune that and get something that's finite enough that you can really take precise aim, but yet will transmit enough light that you can see it, you know, when it's the very last few minutes of daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, uh, also fiber, um, you know, these sites now you see sites that have the fiber wrapping all the way around the scope housing. All of that fiber is gathering light, which is transmitted to the very end, which you look at. Mm-hmm. You, that there are sites that are less expensive that only have, you know, like two or three inches of fiber. And, you know, so guys like, oh, well, well, I just get that one. And without thinking, hmm, at, you know, 5.30 at night on, uh, you know, November 15th or whatever, and you're just about at daylight, you're probably not going to be able to see that pin. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they don't, just, they don't <laughs> realize that until it's too late. <laughs> so, you know, PJ, I, I have a... Uh a spot hog seven pin that's the pro hunter i think you know you probably remember that side that's awesome site yeah i love it i've shot yeah i've shot it for you know what four or five years i think and it's great but i did go with the uh king 1000 uh fiber oh yeah and Mm -hmm. and and it's great especially when you start getting down to that bottom couple pins you know you really need that that precision but i've always wondered um because i can tell on that side particularly you know as you're starting to really kind of push those daylight hours they're getting a little dim and there's there's times it it might just be a minute or two that i kind of miss it's kind of like the camera light thing you know where where i just kind of barely missed those couple minutes but yeah i mean those are big buck minutes you know and i wondered (laughs) if uh if maybe through through y'all or through Spot Hog or through any other site manufacturers, if they actually include, um, say for like your twenty, thirty, forty, you know the, the the distances that you would be comfortable shooting, and you don't need the smaller optics for, could you put yeah. you know uh, a nineteen one thousandth in those, and then a ten one thousandth in you know your longer range size? Yep. So um, I shoot a site called the True Ball. Um, AccuTouch, and mm-hmm. it's a five-pin site. It's a five-pin site that's also a slider. I'll explain that. But anyway, mm. my first three pins are nineteen thousandths, and my bottom two are ten thousandths. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so it's so it's it's got five fixed pins, but then it also I can move the whole scope housing. Uh, up and down. So my pins, five pins, I have 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. So then I have these notches where I can also get 70, 80, 90, 100. I can keep going down. Um, I would always use my bottom pin beyond 60. Um, but that's a, that's a site where they offer, you can get two different, you can get different size pins just for that reason. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm very glad to know that actually exists. That's that's great. Uh, yeah, and now, like, I mean, and even just uh, so this year, uh, Trueball upgraded its fiber. I mean, who knew there was different types of fiber? <laughs> uh, I mean, 
<laughs> I had no idea. But what I know is I got the new fibers into my pins, and my 60-yard pin, it was orange. I had trouble seeing it uh, when I got the sight. I, I mean, it just, even in regular light, it just didn't pick up light. True Ball has this new fiber they put in. Man, that thing glows like it's incredible now. So there's apparently there's even different grades of fiber optics that can be used, um, which which really helped helped me anyway. Mm-hmm. If my wife only knew how much money you're making me spend right now. <laughs> well, and, uh, while we're on the topic of sights, too, a lot of guys don't consider what's called leveling your second and third axis um, to, to make sure that your sight truly is level in all conditions, especially tree stands. That's going to be your third axis. Mm-hmm. If your sight is, if you haven't taken the time to level all those things, side hills, up and down shots, you, you can miss. I mean, you can be, your sight can be dead on on flat ground, and as soon as you go to shoot at a downward angle, you can miss wide left easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and guys don't always think about that or, you know, pick a site that where you can level the second and third axis and then actually do it. Um, mm-hmm. but this is all part of that, all part of the process to hyper accuracy. Mm-hmm. You know, you have guys now shooting um, 100 yards with no problem. I mean, they'll take that shot in a heartbeat mm-hmm. um, because they know their equipment can do it and they've practiced it and it's it's definitely possible. Mm-hmm. Well, what about, what about the bow grip? Because I kind of have a fat one that's made out of wood and I like it a lot. Um, I like the fact that yeah. it's made out of wood for one because uh, the metal gets really cold during the season. Um, but I know that the more contact you have with the bow, the more margin for moving the bow as you shoot. So what kind of grip do you prefer? Yeah. If, if you're, if you favor the fat grip, then you're really not going to like the kind of grip you should be shooting. (laughs) 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 It takes, it takes some getting used to, um, but narrow and flat, Mm -hmm. um, is, is what, is going to give you the the most consistent. It's basically consistency. That fat grip, the more contact you have, the more things that can be different from shot to shot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the pros, quite honestly, take the grip off and just shoot with their hand on the riser because it's really thin and it's nice and flat on some boats, not on all of them, um, but some of them. Um, or some of them will take the grip off and just put um, like tennis racket tape um, around there to give them a little cushion. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, a good grip is kind of key because that's your hand can do you can do all kind of bad things with your hand in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I can. I mean, um, I figure if you look at me shoot, you can understand all these things that I'm telling you <laughs> that, that these are the reasons. You know, we like to, uh, so I've seen videos where some people are saying, ah, oh, it doesn't matter how you grip the bow, you know, whatever feels comfortable, open hand, you know, 
or ripping it around, whatever works for you. And I just thought, man, if you watch the pros shoot, basically every one of them has the same hand position, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Little slight variances, but almost, I won't even say almost, they all have the same hand position. Um, and they do that for a reason, because it's consistent, repeatable, and consistent. That's mm-hmm. what they're looking for. So this past season, uh, kind of trying to strive for some of that consistency, I, well, let me back up. I've always shot with one of those uh, wrist straps, you know, like, so mm-hmm. say if you were to shoot with an open hand, you know, you put the wrist strap on there, the ball, bow falls, and it's dangling, mm-hmm. right? And I pulled it off because... All it ever did for me was pretty much just cause a moment of anxiety at, when a deer was coming in of me trying to finagle my gloved hand through that little wrist strap to get a hold of my bow. And mm-hmm. then Tyler called me a poser and said I was just trying to do it because I didn't want to look dumb with, with my wrist strap. So <laughs> I, 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 I thought it was because uh, of real reasons. Now, what is your opinion on, on those wrist straps like that? The first thing is, and that's one of the other things we see, is the those wrist straps, you should never have difficulty getting in because it should be loose enough that you can just slide your handwriting without thinking about it. We always mm-hmm. see people who have it tight against their hand, which is not a good thing because then that's influencing, that's putting torque into the system because your hand is, you want your hand to be nice and relaxed Anything's pulling on it one way or the other, that's not a good thing. So mm-hmm. that that uh, wrist strap, I use one, should actually be open enough that you you don't even think about it because it's such a big opening to slide your hand into. Yeah. Um, so what's the benefit I, of having it? Why do you use it? Uh, tree stands. You yeah. know, shooting at a downward angle. Yeah. Uh, on flat ground, I have never dropped my bow, and I say out of a tree stand, I never have, but I can see where if something happened and just it was the shot really surprised me, I might not grab onto my bow and shooting at a downward angle, you know, gravity is working against me anyway. Um, so it's just kind of a safety measure um, to make sure you don't drop it. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it, it's not, uh, it's, you know, it's something that I don't even really think about it. It's just second nature. You just slide my hand right into the grip. I don't even know it's there. If you get those ones that are made out of paracord, they really sit up nice so that you don't, you know, it's not flopping around. It sits mm-hmm. where you need it to be, and boom, you just slide your hand right in. All right, cool. So let's talk about some of the small stuff, okay? Um, for forever, when I was shooting, I would uh, knock my release onto the string, pull back and shoot. And then all of a sudden I show up to a bow shop and I'm 17 and they say that I have to have a D loop. And I've never, Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about them at that point in time, you know? Mm -hmm. And then now that's just, that's common practice, right? So are D loops here to stay? Is that, is that going to be something that sticks around forever? I know it kind of changed my drawing a little bit and does for everyone, right? Like by about a half an inch. So, um, is that, I don't, I don't see it being a fad, but is that going to be something that sticks around or is there another, a better answer to that still? I think that is going to stick around. Um, it gives you 
you know, it grips the string above and below your knock. And the main purpose for it is so that you're not wearing out your bowstring. I mean, I don't know if you go back to the days where actually the serving on the bow used to be monofilament line, like fishing line. And if you, <laughs> if you clipped that, you know, after a while, you wore through it with your release, and then all of a sudden that thing would do just what you'd expect. It would be like a bird's nest. It would just go, <laughs> and it would just come off, and you were out of business. Oh. Uh-huh. Um, so then we advanced to the more, you know, the... Uh, braided line or, or, you know, thread material that we have today for, uh, for string serving. And now you have the D-loop behind it. If you break that up, that's easy. Just put a new one on. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot easier to replace a, a five-cent D-loop than it is a, you know, $150 bow string. So that makes perfect sense. Exactly. So, <clears throat> what if, uh, let me ask you this. What if I'm out, you know, and I'm in the backcountry or I'm up Colorado elk hunting or whatever, and one of my little uh, monkey tails flies off while I'm on a trip. Should I replace it ASAP? Should I not worry about it? And how much effect is that going to have on my shot? Almost none. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even worry about that. It's you know, cool. it's mainly a string silencer. Depending on where it is, where it's positioned, mm-hmm. it may be giving you just a skosh more speed if it's in the right spot. Because um, anything you put um, on your string closer to the cams does increase your speed. As you get closer to the D loop, it's going to actually slow down your arrow speed. Um, so it gets in the middle. But those things are so light, it's that speed is going to be negligible. If you lose one, just don't worry about it. Cool. That's good to know. I don't I have enough things to try to keep up with when I'm out running around hunting that I, a little baggy full of rubber things it's just not something i want to have to, <laughs> to keep keep in my backpack all the time uh so uh, let's talk about in between there so you got your d loop and your uh monkey tail string dampener silencer whatever you want to call it um yeah. there's a peep side in there and peeps yeah. for a long time have been pretty pretty much the same you know they're they're what i would call like simplistically perfect like and i've seen um, some different tweaks and changes that people have tried to market and, and put on peep sites. Is it, do we really need to change them? Is there a reason to try out anything new on a peep site, or is it just a, a plastic circle that you look through, and that's about as good as it gets? For for hunting, that's what you – yeah, that's it. It's a circle mm-hmm. to line your eye up. Mm-hmm. Target, the new fad is to have these peeps that are in a tube. Um, it's It's – uh, it, like a, it's a tube basically instead of that flat mm-hmm. peak that you're used to seeing it would be an elongated tube um, mm-hmm. that cuts down glare and it gives you a more precise um, it makes sure that your alignment is even more precise but for hunting no nah, I mean just a plastic circle sure yeah it, it seems I've seen some that you know they have a bar coming up from the bottom and it's uh, I guess supposed to eliminate extra pins and kind of clear, clean up your sight picture. But in my mind, it's just cluttering your sight picture because instead of having yeah. a few pins, you've got a huge bar in your, right. in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and quite frankly, like people like me, um, I'm farsighted. I, I don't think I would see that bar anyway. Um, mm-hmm. It would just be this big blurry thing in there. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Yeah, sure. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Something that close, your eyes not going to focus on whenever you're looking at the deer that's 28 yards away. You know, just right. <laughs> not really how it works. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool, PJ. I, thank you so much for uh, being willing to come on here and share some of your knowledge with us, man. Uh, I know sure. that we didn't get to just probably skim the surface of all the intricate <laughs> details of archery and, and even more what you know. But I do know that uh, we can uh, get on Lancaster Archery's website and their YouTube channel in particular and, and learn a lot from you there, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we're constantly putting up new things, uh, just anything and everything that crosses our, that we can think of, um, uh, just to help people, um, you know, become better archers. That's obviously what we want, whether you're a hunter, target archer, or just shooting in your backyard, you know, whatever you want to do, we, we'd like to help you do a little bit better. That's, that's kind of our mission (laughs) at Lancaster Archery. Awesome. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, we will link up to uh, the website. We'll link up to the YouTube and many of these products that you talked about here. Um, I just would like to say thank you from myself personally because this is kind of um, the beginning of uh, a new journey into kind of fine-tuning my archery setup, which I haven't done in probably like over a decade. So uh, <laughs> thank you for, for, for all the information, and uh, we look forward to – being in touch with you in the near future. Well, yeah, and if I would, I, I, just for your listeners to know, uh, we have full-time customer service reps that um, are working, and if people have questions about something, if you can't find something on YouTube or you just have a question, we have guys that that's what they do all day, mm-hmm. is answer people's questions about bows, about setups, looking for recommendations. I mean, uh I would encourage anybody to give those guys a call. They're some of the most knowledgeable archers you'll find. And, and you know, that's a service we provide just for that reason, just to help people out. I mean, you don't have to buy anything. You can just ask them questions, and, and they're fine with it. Awesome. Well, we'll put the phone number as well uh, in the notes. So if you're sure. listening, just look right below the show here, and you can find all the contact info you need. PJ, it's been a great, great evening. I appreciate your time, and we'll be talking to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. I sure appreciate you having me. Yes, sir. Thank you. Man, there's a lot of information to take in right there, and I feel like uh, it'll be another one that I go through and listen to, you know, listen back to and make sure that I gather everything that he said. And we'll probably try to have him on again because I feel like we just had to cut it shorter than it should have been. Yeah, you know? we barely skimmed the surface. I didn't even plan on asking him about sites, and we got on that, and that was like one of the more interesting things we talked about. Yeah. You know? So there's just so many things, so many little intricacies and details about uh, you know archery, shooting, and all the different gadgets you can use to really make yourself a better hunter, mm-hmm. yeah, as long as you use them right. Right. So speaking of information that you can use, we have a giveaway going on. Why don't you tell us about it? So you can be the lucky winner of an Element t-shirt. Y'all probably seen them on our social media. They're pretty cool. Uh, I wear mine a lot, especially when I want to be super comfy and I want to live in it. I wear my Ooh. Element tee. You could probably live in it, actually. <laughs> it's it's like that soft, but it's like that athletic fit, so uh, it's going to fit you well and conform to you. It's not a big baggy t-shirt. And they look super styling with our tree logo on it and stuff, and uh, you can support us. So, 
what you need to do is go over to our YouTube channel and subscribe to that. And then also go to the Rock Trolls video and comment on that video and tell us, hey, what's up, guys? Awesome vid. Super cool. Y'all are awesome. I love you so much. Something awesome like that. Don't say bad things. Um, and <clears throat> whoever does that and is also a subscriber will be entered into the drawing for the Element T. Yeah. And so, honestly, if you mess up and you don't comment on the Rock Trolls video, I think I'll still put you in. Will you? Yeah. Okay. But you have to have commented during this period of comment. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can't have commented, like, six months ago and be in the, and be in the running for this thing. So it's gotta, it has to have been within the last, what, two weeks, I guess, is when we started this thing. Yeah. So go do that, and we will be looking forward to giving a shirt away to somebody. So anyway, thanks for hanging out with this man. I hope you guys are getting out, living your element, even though it's getting hot. And, uh, man, we look forward to uh, Velvet Picks. I know that. I'm ready Ooh. to start seeing them on social media. Yeah. So it's coming soon. It's coming soon. And I'm getting hot. I'm telling you right now, I've been editing the buck that we killed last year. I've been editing that video, and it's like, I can't wait till it's November again. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, so, my goodness. Anyway, I hope you guys are getting out in it and having a good time. God bless you. Thanks for listening. And remember, this is your element. Living it. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.